Well, good morning. Happy New Year. All right. Well, it is good to be with you all today. Uh, it was nice to have a, a chance to get away last weekend. And uh, Pastor Dick, thank you for filling in. And, and I was able to take my wife away for her birthday. We went to the Columbia Gorge. And I was able to uh, visit a friend of mine who was a pastor. Uh, he was 49 years old when I went to Bible college as a freshman. And he was in the dorm next to me. And his name was Jerry, and uh, he was a mill worker who had been injured going back to Bible college to become a preacher. And I'll tell you a quick story, just because I love this story. Uh, his first, our first test in uh, Dr. Beckman over at Boise Bible College. He found, helped found the college. He's uh, Amy Woodward's grandfather. Anyways, he gave us our test, and, and I, I finished it, and, and I can hear wrestling behind me, and and someone's not handling this test very well. And I get up and I, and I walk out the class and I look down and Jerry's sitting there <clears throat> at his desk with a completely blank test in front of him. He can't even remember his name. <laughs> at 49, he had block. He couldn't even remember his, uh, his name. And uh, anyways, we got him through and he's been at Wasco Church of Christ up in Wasco, Oregon now for almost 17 years. And we were able to share uh, with him and he preached to a congregation of, we, we, we made 15, I think it was. And uh, he's been faithfully serving God there. And it was a joy to be with Jerry as he preached God's word. Another little element, a small element of our, of our family, our extended uh, Christian family. So that was a blessing for me. It's been eventful as well. As you might notice, I have a big uh, orange thumb up here. Uh, my wife was given by my parents a brand new uh, set of kitchen knives. <laughs> they are very sharp. So it lopped off the tip of my, th- my uh, thumb right there. So she's an EMT though, uh, a medic, para- basic paramedic. So she was able to fix me up. So, anyways, all of that to say, it's good to be here uh, with you this morning. Let's let's ask God's blessing upon our time. God, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity once again to gather as your family and to lift you up and to worship you and to give you the honor that you are due. And I pray, Father, that as a result of our praise this morning, that that you, are, you feel honored and that uh, you have been glorified in that. And God, I just pray that as we open up your word once again, that uh, you bless this time, that you give us insight into your will for our lives. As we look at your scripture, speak to us through your spirit this morning. We give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, here we are. And it's good to be here. Uh, it's good to be in the pulpit officially as the teaching pastor so thank you all for your input that you gave to the elders and uh yeah i'm honored uh to take up this position and it's been filled by great men and i'm humbled uh to be able to carry on that torch of teaching god's word to you all and so this morning we're going to just jump right into it right we're going to look we're going to look at a couple stories and we're going to start uh, the year off by looking at an Old Testament story. And you might remember the story. Maybe you've heard it before. It's a fairly uh, common story, even if you aren't uh, really knowledgeable about the Bible. Uh, you might be familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the story of Lot and his family, Abraham's nephew, Lot. He, he uh, had moved uh, with Abraham around. Uh, Abraham had kind of shepherded him and raised him as his own. And Lot got, had a wife and a, a family, and they moved to the town of Sodom. 
and they were living there in this city as it became more and more wicked and uh, more depraved. And, and there came a time when God decided to do something about the wickedness of Sodom. And in Genesis 19 is where we find that uh, story. So if you would like to turn to Genesis 19, please do so. We don't have any slides this morning. I've been out sick all week, and it was New Year's, and Julie was off, and Doug was over in Boise, and so we don't have any slides. So I apologize for that, but Genesis 19 is where we're going to start, where we see uh, God deciding to take care of the wickedness of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he sends two of his messengers, two angels, to tell Lot to get out of town. And as he comes into town, Lot spots these two visitors. And being a somewhat decent man, Lot wasn't the most righteous. He wasn't Abraham-level righteousness, but he believed in God. He loved God, and, and but he lived in a very wicked area. And he knew that, and so he went and he kind of grabbed these two men that he saw, and he brought them to his house, trying to kind of protect them from the wickedness of the city. And the men of the city saw these two new visitors, and they wanted uh, to do some very unwholesome things. We'll just leave it at that. Okay? They wanted to abuse these two new visitors, these two travelers into their town. And Lot tried to protect them, and he brought them into his home. And the men of the town, they were pounding on Lot's doors, and they were demanding to have these two men to be delivered over, and, and Lot was refusing. He wouldn't turn them over. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis 19, starting in verse 12, as we see what happens uh, in this story. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife, and of his two daughters, and let them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful uh, to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. So the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah is upon them. And the angels, these two messengers, are saying to them, Get away! Run for your lives and what? Don't look back. Don't look back. God's got a job to do, and you don't need to be any part of it. You just get, you hightail it out of here. Get out of here. Picking up in verse 23. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. And then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the city and also the vegetation in the land. Verse 26. But Lot's wife looked back. And she became a, what? Pillar of salt. God destroyed her. Lot's wife made a fatal mistake. And God, through his messengers, a couple of angels, had warned Lot and his family to flee, to not look back. 
to not even stop until they had reached safety of where the Lord had sent them. Don't stop. Don't turn around. Don't pause and remember. Don't look back towards what I'm going to be doing. The lost wife didn't heed the message of the angels. She didn't listen to the word of the Lord. God was going to take care of business by destroying the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were told to do their job. And their job was to run and to stay focused on what was ahead and not to look back. But Lot's wife couldn't do it. She couldn't obey. She couldn't keep herself from taking one last look at where she'd been. One last look at her old way of life. She couldn't resist taking one more peek into her past. As a result, she paid a deadly price. You know, it's a difficult story. It's a, it's a horrible story of what happens when mankind turn in on themselves and become more and more wicked and more and more depraved. It's a difficult story because we see Lot's wife, who God had offered her a way uh, to, to escape, disobeyed and paid the price. You know, each of us have things in our lives that will destroy us if we hold on to them. Hurts, loss, trauma, our failures, our addictions, all of these things can drag us down and they can hold us back from being what God has made us to be. And it isn't just the negative things that destroy us. It's not just those horrible things in our lives that can tear us down. But we can also get caught up in our successes, our victories, and our accomplishments, and even our past growth. These things can make us prideful. They can make us think we're better than what we really are. And they can make it seem like we don't need to try. We don't need to push forward. We don't need to improve on what we are. You know, I I liken it to, to business. Uh, There's a lot of great businesses over the years that no longer exist today. Why? Because they got caught up in their past success, right? They refuse to grow or they refuse to change with the times. However, some businesses over the years have adapted. They've they've grown and they've been able to survive. I, I think, for example, the company IBM. I'm sure we're pretty much all of us are familiar with IBM. IBM was founded, the great computer company, IBM, was actually founded in the 1880s. They made things like uh, weigh scales for businesses, coffee grinders and meat slicers, uh, employee time uh, clock management system where you remember you'd punch your card. I don't remember that. You probably remember that. Oh, man, that was, that was a bad one. Sorry. Mm. An age joke right off the beginning. All right, you know, but they they made things that were were business tools, but they weren't computerized. They weren't technologically focused. But as times changes and changed, and technological, boy, technology advanced, what did IBM do? They adapted. And as computers became uh, more and more part of our society, IBM embraced that. And even in the 80s, they had uh, difficult choices of whether they were going to continue in making computers or they're going to change with the times. And now they don't make too many computers. They handle more things that are information technology, IT, software, support, things like that. They've adapted with the times, and IBM is still one of the most, the greatest companies, or, or maybe not greatest, but the, the largest companies in the world. 
they have more patents for information technology than any other company in the world. Okay, they've survived because they've adapted. They haven't looked back and said, man, we made a great punch card, so let's make great punch cards into the future. Guess what nobody uses anymore? Punch cards. If they had stayed making punch cards, they never would have adapted. They never would have survived to this day. It's the same way with us. And it's not that we can't look back. It's that we can't tarry there. We can't stop and we can't keep our momentum going from going forward. And that's what Lot's wife was encouraged. That Lot, they were told to do. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't tarry. Don't look back at the future and hold on to that. Keep going. Go forward. Press on. Our old ways, our old ways of thinking, our old ways of living can suck us back into the past and keep us from growing. Don't live in the past. We probably all know someone who's caught up in their past, maybe even caught up back in the glory days, right? One of my favorite movies is a movie called Napoleon Dynamite, and there's this character in it, Uncle Rico. You familiar? Some of you might be familiar with this, probably not as much. But anyways, Uncle Rico always says, if Coach would have put me in back in 82 at quarterback in the fourth quarter, we would have won the state champions. If only he would have done that. If only I could go back to when I was young. If only I could do that. And he's so caught up back in 82 that he's not living his life today. We can't get caught up in our glory days. Paul in Philippians actually addresses this kind of idea. In Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, this is what Paul tells us. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, here's the key verse. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You catch that? I press on. I forget what's behind me, and I strain towards what is ahead. There was a quote that I read this week about this passage uh, that I really like. It says, the word forgetting in this passage means no longer caring for, uh, neglecting, refusing to focus on the past. Our memories store millions of pieces of information gained through our senses since birth. Some experiences are impossible to forget. And any effort to forget them only makes them more prominent. Paul is not advising a memory wipe. He's telling us to focus on the present and the future rather than the past. So he's saying forget what is behind. Okay? We can't necessarily forget. We can't erase it from our memory. But we can refuse to focus on it. Lot's wife, when she's running from the city, she couldn't forget what was behind her. But she didn't have to stop and turn around and look. And that's what God was warning her against. Saying, don't stop. Don't focus on the past. Push on towards the future. So this morning I've got uh, uh, four things. Four things that we should leave in our past. I have four things that we should leave in our past. And four things that we should look towards in our future. So here's the first four of things that we should leave in our past. 
The first one is this. Our past hurts. And these are things that have been done to us or done by us that may be things like our addictions, uh, maybe insults, damaged relationships, and betrayals. You know, past hurts are hard to overcome at times, and sometimes they take a long time. Uh, my family has experienced this very uh, closely over the years in the church, even in the church. We were a part of a church when I was about second or third grade that split. It was a church split. And part of my family left the church, and part of my family stayed in the church. And that split took years and years and years, my whole childhood basically, to heal. And it could have been healed a lot sooner. But my family chose to hold on to the hurts. It chose to hold on to the insults. Instead of letting those things go and focus on healing and restoration of a family. And I can tell you that that damaged my opinion of the church for years and years and years. Our past hurts can hold us back from the healing and forgiveness that God has to offer. Our past hurts need to be let go. Here's another one. Our past accomplishments. You know, these are the things that have brought us success in life. It's, it's good to have successes. It's good to have accomplishments in our life. It's good to succeed, but when we hold on to them so dearly, it can turn negative pretty quickly. I, I, in, in football, you see this a lot with coaches who refuse to adapt to the times. And they still run an offense or a defense that other coaches have figured out how to stop. And so they, they lose their success, and these once great coaches became, become mocked because they won't change. Okay, in our lives, we can do the same thing. We can say, hey, I, I grew so much last year. Man, I, I don't need to do anything this year. No, nope, that's, not, that's not the truth. You know, our process of sanctification, that where we grow more Christ-like, is an upward trend. Okay, we grow more and more like Christ, more towards Him. It isn't a, a flat line. Okay, we must grow every year, every day in Jesus. We can't let our past accomplishments, even past spiritual accomplishments, hold us back. Past goals. Things that we've strived for. Things that we've wanted to accomplish can hold us back. Oftentimes, these are worldly pursuits. Uh, Another quote I read this week, I don't believe that worldly pursuits are sinful activities necessarily. Instead, I believe it encompasses anything we strive for that takes away, takes away from or goes against God's purpose in our lives. Striving for worldly goals will only result in discontent and distract us from the ultimate goal, that which Paul is speaking of in Ephesians chapter 3, that goal of obtaining our salvation, of, of realizing who we are in Jesus Christ. Our worldly goals can distract us from what Christ sets in front of us. Maybe our job accomplishments, that next promotion, that next set of shiny new wheels that we want to buy. Okay, those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. But when they keep us from realizing what God has for us and for accomplishing God's will, then those can hinder our growth. Here's the last thing we should let go. We had hurts, our past accomplishments, our past goals, past regrets. These are things that we wish we had done or things that we wished we hadn't done. 
And I guarantee you, all of us can probably quickly identify things in our lives that we wish we had or had not done. And we can let those things simmer inside of us and tell us that we're horrible people. Or they can weigh us down, again, keeping us from realizing our full potential. Don't let your regrets get in the way of who God has made you be. You know, Paul encourages us to leave these things in the past. Forget them. Forget the hurts, the accomplishments, the goals, and the regrets, and to press forward to, to, to uh, pursue, to strain towards, is the words he uses, what is ahead. In this verse, he says two times to press on, to take hold of. Press on, take hold of, to strain towards. The idea here is to pursue, to overtake and obtain, to seize hold of, to capture something, because you value it. And you want it in your life. So what do we need to do for 2015? What do we need to grab hold of? What do we need to have such value in front of us that we chase it down and bear hug it because we don't want to let it go? Well, here we go. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10 for these things. I found four things from Hebrews chapter 10. First one is in verse 22. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. It says, let us go right into, excuse me, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have sprinkled, have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us go into the presence of God with sincere hearts. And the only way that we can do that is by growing in Jesus. Okay, as we grow in Jesus, we become more and more like him, and we get closer and closer to the presence of God. That's that sanctification that I just mentioned. Sanctification, you know, when we become saved, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we make him the boss of our life, and he says, I now see you as clean because of my blood. That process, what just happened right there, that's called justification. You might have heard that word in Christian circles before. Justification, it means you've been justified. You've been declared not guilty. You're pure and clean, not because of anything that you've done, but because Jesus died for you and his blood washed you clean. That's justification. Okay. The next word after that that takes place in our lives as Christians is sanctification. And that's where we grow more and more into the person Christ would have us be to imitate Christ and become more and more like him. And like I said, that's an upward growth trend line. Okay, We were here. That's not where he wants us to be. He wants us to be up here with him. So we grow more and more like him. And as we do, there's, it's a progress, right? We're not there. We never will be until he comes to get us. But we continue to become more and more and more like him. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, is telling us just that. First thing that we need to do this year, we need to grow to be more like Christ. That needs to be our goal. Not just, excuse me, individually, but as a body. We need to become more and more Christ-like. As Southside Church of Christ in Lebanon needs to be more like Jesus in 2015 than it was in 2014. So a good test for us is to ask ourselves, where am I right now? Am I better than what I was last year? Am I more like Jesus now than I was last year? I hope so. I'd like to think I am. But I know, you know what? In the end of 2015, I want to be able to answer that question with no doubt in my mind. And not just for me, for all of us as a body. 
So the first thing that we hold on to is our growth in Jesus. Second thing that we're going to press forward, we're going to strive to attain, is a faith that stands firm in any situation. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us hold tightly. So we're going to chase after this. We're going to capture it, pursue it, and then what are we going to do with it? We're not going to let it go, right? We're going to hold firm to that faith. Because there's going to be more hurts, right? There's going to be more difficult times ahead of us. There's going to be more situations where we could take insult. And there's going to be more regrets. And so we have to have a firm faith in those times so that those things that happen don't hinder our growth as well in the future. We're going to chase it down. We're going to hold on to our faith. Hebrews 10.24 tells us our next one. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to act of love and good works. I like this one. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Yeah, I love this one because this one isn't just focused on me. It isn't just focused on the growth that needs to happen within Brian this year. But what it's focused on is me helping you to grow. And you helping others to grow. So the next thing that we're going to press forward to is to encourage others to grow in their faith. You know what this process is called? Discipleship. Discipleship. And that's what we're going to be about this year. And over the next few weeks, uh, for the month of January, we're going to look at why we exist. Why do we do what we do here at Southside? And you're going to hear this word over and over and over again. Discipleship. We're about growing disciples, making people become disciples or helping people become disciples and then helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus. So this year we're going to be focused on encouraging others to grow in their faith. Because if we're not doing that, we're not accomplishing the mission that Jesus has given us. Right? And if all we are is focused inside on here, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? It's good. I want to grow this year. I want to grow personally. But if I'm the only one growing and I'm not helping someone else grow, I'm only, you know, fulfilling half of the equation. So we're going to grow in Christ. We're going to stand firm in our faith. We're going to encourage others to grow in theirs. The last one is I'm going to take from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, which says it is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Okay, we teach about Jesus' love. We teach about God's grace and his forgiveness. But sometimes we ignore the flip side. And that is what happens when we don't get to experience the love. And we don't get to experience God's grace. And we fail to tell people about those things. We let them, we surrender these people to the hands of a living God. And it says it's a terrible thing. When you haven't accepted Jesus, it's a terrible thing. So our fourth thing is let's take as many people with us to heaven as we possibly can. Okay, let's take others with us. If all we focus on this year at Southside is helping Brian be better, or maybe even helping you guys be better as a body, we're stronger, we know more about Jesus, we love him more, but we haven't taken more people with us, again, we're missing a part of the equation. It's essential that we grow but it's essential 
that we share that growth and that love and that mercy and that compassion with as many people as we possibly can. So we want to say it's not a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It's a wonderful thing because you've got to experience his mercy and his love. You know, we've got to strive for these things. We have to pursue them. We have to overtake them. We have to capture them. And I love this. He says, why? Because Jesus captured me. That's why. He says, I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me. Right? That's why I'm here today. That's why all of us are here today. For some reason, whether you've accepted Jesus yet or you haven't accepted, you have or haven't, doesn't matter, right? We're, we're all here because the Spirit has led us. Because something about this message has attracted us. Because Christ has taken hold of us. We're here today. Have you been completely captured by Christ? Has he completely seized hold of you? Are you still holding on to yourself? Are you keeping him from taking hold of everything? And that question applies to all of us. No matter how spiritually mature we may be, has Christ taken hold of all of you? Or are there parts where you're saying, Jesus, keep your hands off, that's my part. That part of my life is mine and I'm going to hold on to it. Well, this year, let's let him take hold of everything. Let's grow in him. Let's stand firm in him. Let's encourage others to grow in him. And let's take as many with us as we possibly can. God loves you. I love you. And this right here is a great opportunity today for you to surrender to the arms of Jesus Christ. Because just like he says for us to pursue, to take hold, to bear hug that faith, that's what he wants to do for you. And that's what he has done for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the pursuit which you have made on the hearts and the minds and the lives of everybody in this room. Father, some of us, you're still chasing down. And that's all right. Because we know the persistence with which you chase. Father, we're grateful for that bear hug that's been wrapped around our heart by your arms. And I just pray, Father, that as we look forward to 2015, that we will pursue the loss of this city with the same fervor and the same desire and the same love that you chased us down. And may we be known, Father, as a place that has surrendered to you and loves you and loves this community. Father, we give 2015 to you. We release it. We know that you can do so much better things with it than we could ever hope to on our own. And we're just grateful, Father, that you've allowed us to be part of that. So please be with us. May we honor you in all we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a couple take-it-homes for us. The first one, they're not in your bulletin. Again, I apologize. It's been a rough week for, for ill people like myself and over the New Year's. But the first one, you can probably guess what it is. Memorize, right? And we have a new verse for you. It's Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, from this passage right now, right here. And I think, do we have a, no slide for it. 
Never mind. I'm going to read it to you this week, and next week we'll have slides made for it. Maybe you already know this one. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. One more time. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you remember Romans 5.8 that we started off with in October, I believe it was? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, while we were yet sinners, what did Christ do? He died for us, right? And he's saying he died for us. He accomplished the, the goal. He obtained the prize for us. And so what do we do? Press on. Because it's waiting for us. Second one, take it home. I want you to pray about what areas of your life you need to let go so that you can move forward in your growth in Jesus. I think that you can still hold on to some areas and still grow a little bit. You can still uh, hold on to a past hurt and still grow in Jesus. He's not going to just say, oh, you're done growing until that's over. But I can tell you this, that if when you let go of those hurts, you will grow so much more. So I want you to pray about those things in your life that are holding you back. And then the flip side, I want you to commit to one of the four ways, at least, that we can look forward to the future in our growth in Jesus, standing firm in our faith, encouraging others, and taking as many with us as we possibly can. Again, I, I mentioned it just a little bit earlier, but a new year, a new start. It, it reflects the, the new mercies that God gives us every day, new years. I'm so grateful that he invented time in the way that he did, and he invented uh, new years. It's new opportunities. It's a new life each and every day that we live. And you have an opportunity today to live a new life. And Jesus offers you that. And if you've never accepted that, never taken that opportunity, I'd invite you during this song to come down or to catch me out in the lobby because I'd love to talk to you about what a new 2015 serving Jesus could be all about.